take your bulletin, or maybe some would want to call this a program, but take your bulletin if, we, if you uh, would do that. And I want you to notice something. By, all, by no means am I going to tell you any announcements, so I'm glad I don't have to and uh, get to do that. But I want, to, I want you to notice something with me, if you would. Get away from the announcements. That's not the most important thing on here. And look at the bottom, if you would. And the bottom of this bulletin, it says something that, that's important for us, but I don't know about you, but it's a matter that, if not careful, I, I can get away from this or not be reminded of this. And this is put on here on purpose to remind us. And it says this, that we exist for the purpose of, would you read this with me, please? Making disciples of Christ who are making disciples of Christ. Thank you very much for that this morning. That's, that's why we exist, and I'm glad the Lord... Years ago, lay that on our pastor's heart, and I pray this morning, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, involved in the gospel, I'd like to look at this morning, involved in discipleship. I believe just as important as the gospel, matter of fact, may I say this, it might surprise you if, when I say this, but discipleship is just as important as the Great Commission. Matter of fact, it's a major, major, not a minor, a major part of the Great Commission. Would you notice with me, before you get to the book of Mark in Matthew 28, and the last two verses of Matthew 28, all you need to do is take a page back and look at verse 19 and verse 20, if you would please, with me this morning. I want to share these verses with you, and then I want to give you something as an example here that happened to me this morning. Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching. Now you've seen that word twice now. Teach all nations and then teaching them. What are we to teach them? To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Maybe you're in the habit of, of underlining. I've done so in my Bible. Underlined the words to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that's Jesus speaking. And he says, and lo, I am with you always. Praise the Lord for that. Even unto the end of the world, amen. And amen, I say as well, to that passage of Scripture. This morning, I, I took a very just simple habit that I have, and I took my keys, and I actually just put them in my pocket. And maybe some of you can see this little pocket right here. And I stuck as a single. I don't like carrying around too many keys, and I, I, I have to carry a lot of keys around sometimes, but I just wanted to just have a single most of the time, and I'm wearing a suit but I stuck it in this pocket, commonplace, normal habit. When I stuck it in this pocket this morning, I felt them all the way back here. <laughs> so I soon found out that this, this commonplace habit that I just have to put in this pocket, it was a deeper, farther pocket than I ever realized and could imagine. I did not know I had a hole in this pocket until I felt my keys down here. And I'm afraid that oftentimes we pass, if you come up these quad and then the main doors here, we see this exact purpose, making the disciples of Christ who are making disciples of Christ. And we see it in our bulletin, and it's just commonplace. And so I, I pray this morning, my, my prayer this morning is this, that not just we just raise an awareness about this, because we're aware of it. We have it on the wall. We have it on the bulletin. We hear it at times. We see it at times. And, and at times there's examples of this but that we not have an awareness raised, but there's actually that action that takes place because before I came here this morning, I was 
concerned that, my goodness, those keys are going to jiggle and, and make and clatter and make noise as I move around this morning. So I dug deep, and I had to cut a little bigger hole to get my big fingers. And, and to, so there's a pretty good-sized hole in this pocket here. That My littlest pocket of, of this suit has probably the biggest hole in the suit. I'm just grateful it was one of these holes on the coat. We'll leave it at that. But the thing of it is, it's a commonplace, it's a normal habit. If we're not careful, I hope this morning that my prayer is that we actually not only just get a greater desire, but that this can actually take place and it can become a reality. And there's an actuality to this matter of discipleship that Jesus Christ Himself gave this to us so that we will follow it, so that we will do it. And this is for all saved folks, and this is for all that are, to be, that are saved. And, and if you're not saved here this morning, what we mean by that is that you have actually trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you haven't done that, today's a great day to do that, and a day of salvation. Would you notice verse 20 of Matthew 28, though? It says this, verse 19 and 20, it, it does say teach. And many of us might have a desire to teach, but it says very importantly what our focus is to be when we teach. And our focus and what we are to be teaching is to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. May I say this? True discipleship is teaching others what you have learned about Christ. And so this is very important that we be ever learning Christ. I don't know about you, but the day of my salvation as an eight-year-old young man... Well, it, it started my growth. And I pray that today that I'm stronger spiritually in my growth than what I was as an eight-year-old young man. I hope to goodness that's the case. I'm in trouble if not. But a true disciple and disciple is to be taking conscious and continual steps to be ever learning Christ. Philippians 3.10, I love it. It says this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto his death. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was driving in our subdivision, and, and I have a tendency around this time of year, I don't know, maybe you're like me, but I like looking at the well-manicured lawns. Maybe I'm jealous of them. Maybe I, maybe I, just, I wish I had the nice, green, luscious, you know, looks like perfect carpet that you could just lay there and, and, and lay on your back and look up at that beautiful sky and feel good with that nice, green carpet with no weeds. And I wonder how it's done. And I, I wish that you could gather that. I think my yard is full of sand. I don't know what's going on. But this time of year, I love seeing the color and landscaping and and I noticed a yard that seemed to be very well manicured and very nice in our subdivision. There's a few of those, and you know they're always next to a, a, a neighbor that has the weeds. But uh, the matter is, I, I noticed that this one was pretty good shape, but I noticed something very unusual. And maybe this is something that's done in New Jersey. I would have expected to see this in Tennessee. But here's a guy out there in, in his yard, and it looked pretty good. He literally, please... I, I don't know, maybe this is a new, new way to go, but he literally had a drill in his hand, and every couple inches he was drilling in his yard. Literally bent over, taking the drill, and drilling. I, I'm talking about a power drill. I'm talking about a hand drill. And, and drilling holes into his yard every couple inches. And I thought, well, that is unusual. That is a long process. And maybe probably what he was doing was aerating his yard, I cannot imagine how long it takes him to aerate his yard. It wasn't a big yard, but it probably felt big to him. 
Because every couple inches, he was literally taking that power drill. You know, it's one of those things as you drive by, you kind of take a second glance. That, I just really see that. Is that really just happening? And he was going about it his own way and his own process. Can I tell you, there's a lot better way. To, I don't know much about lawns and much about keeping, but I, I do know this, that you can rent an aerator. I do know that, that you can actually even pay somebody as a company to come out and do that for you. And I imagine and I guarantee that it would be a matter that it would be a lot less time than what it was taking him to every couple inches drill into his yard. And hopefully he drills into all the right spots and doesn't find pipe. But you know what? He's going about it his way. He thought it's the best way. And I will say he had a little bit of a, a, a pretty nice yard. Hopefully so after all that effort. But you know what? If we're not careful, we will go about our way in teaching. and We will go about our way of thinking that this is the right way. I mean, I'm going to drill and drill and drill, and here I go. But wait a, wait a second. The Bible is very clear that our way is not the best way. God's way is the best way. So what are we to teach? We are to teach this, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So what does that look like? Well, discipleship is on purpose leading someone else to take a farther walk with God and teaching them to observe God's commands. And actually, that taking place in their own life. Would you please notice this with me as well? In Matthew 28, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. And then verse 20, it says, teaching them. I want to encourage you this morning that you can have a them. There can, I know this is not maybe grammatically, grammatically correct or, or grammatical correct or even sound proper maybe necessarily, but discipleship is having them. And that means someone else is them. That means there is to be teaching to them. That means we are to observe all things and the things that God has commanded, and you can have a them in your life. What do I mean by that? I mean you can have a group. I mean you can have an individual. I mean you can have someone else that you can teach, that God has put you in a place, a great place. Not only this church, but God has given you the Word of God. It's a, it's a great, great book. It's the greatest book, I believe. And God has also allowed us, if we will give in to this matter, that He can have a them in our life that we can teach. May I say this this morning? For those of you who have families, the, one of the greatest places you can start with discipleship is your own family. I'm learning. You know, we don't get a practice run on this. You know, I wish maybe I, I could have been a matter of a practice run to know how to be a dad before I had to face being a dad. And we're all learning this. And, and ladies, mothers, you're, you're getting a practice run. You're not getting a practice run either. It's, it's right there on the spot. But it's a matter that we can have of them in our life. And I believe the best understanding of discipleship is to go to the master discipler. And that is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And I believe if, if we're going to notice this, we're going to need to go back to Mark. In verse 14, it says this. This is unusual, but please notice the change of what's taking place here. Verse 14 says, Now after that, John was put in prison. Put in prison. That's not the place you and I want to be. That's not the place John wanted to be. Can I say this? If we're honest with ourselves, we settle for so much less 
because John was put in prison for sharing the gospel. And so we settle for so much less stopping us from sharing the gospel. See, John here was put in prison. It's actually very convicting to me that even though you read these words, it doesn't seem like that's much to it, but there's a lot to that. John was put in prison because he was sharing the gospel. John was willing to be put in prison for the sake of the gospel. John the Baptist, nothing stopped him from sharing the gospel. But when I read that, I have to think to myself, I wonder today, what would it take in my life to stop me from sharing the gospel? What will or has stopped us from sharing the gospel? What does it take us from telling someone about Christ? Well, I look out this morning and I see you and you see me and most likely prison has not stopped us. You're not in prison this morning. I hope you don't feel like you are. This is way better than prison ever would be, ever will be. The actuality, the reality is something less than prison has stopped us. See, for John, here he is put in prison because he's been preaching the same gospel, Jesus Christ, repent ye, believe ye, the gospel. Can I ask us today, would we be willing to be put in prison for what we believe? But when I think of that, that's a sobering thought. I have no desire, as you have no desire, to be put in prison, but there are people that are put in prison for the sake of the gospel. In other countries, that is taking place. And who's to say that it can't come to America? Who's to say that it couldn't be that one, uh, one way one, one day? And you know what? It's easy for you and I to know that we'd be willing to be put in prison if this is taking place, if we are sharing the gospel without being in prison right now. And so, for John, he was known for preaching, he was known for sharing, he was known for telling the gospel. Would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 6, and notice John's testimony here. And John, the Baptist, is who we're talking about here. Remember, he was the one coming before Christ, preparing the way, Getting those people ready. There's no question John the Baptist was known for sharing the gospel. Matthew 6 and verse 14, I find this very unusual and I find this very interesting. And my, matter of fact, in my study, I, I was just uh, awestruck by this. Verse 14, And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. John the Baptist risen from the dead? Herod heard, heard thereof, and he said, it is, it is John. Notice it says, others said that it is Elias, and others said that it is a prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Odeus' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. He's preaching, and that's quite convicting when you're calling out the king. And saying, you, you've done wrong, and you need to repent, and you, you are not in the right here. Notice Herod's take on John. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy and observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. The guy who called him out, the guy who said, you're in the wrong, 
But this is what is taking place here. Get this, please, if you would. In this passage of Scripture, this is what I noticed, and this is what really got me, and I was, I was actually excited to see this take place because it, it tells a lot about John, just as much as it tells about Jesus. This is Jesus, and people are confusing John with Jesus. So much so that Herod was saying, John must have risen from the dead. He must have been resurrected. I beheaded him. That's got to be John. I don't know how it could be. I'm confused. And how could it be John? And really, it was Jesus. Because John had so many, what the Bible says here, mighty works that showed forth themselves and even him, that now there's a confusion of, is this Jesus or John? John? Jesus? Oh, wait, wait, wait. What, what's going on here? Because John and Jesus were preaching the same gospel. They were going about the same message. And there was a confusion now. Jesus is known by his works and, and about to get famous and about to just, I mean, go off the charts with popularity and fame to be spread abroad. But John was pretty famous in preaching the gospel. And John was known by his works. So their works, get this please, had so much similarity that now who is really being talked about, John or Jesus? You know, it's like twins. I think... Twins are so much alike, their actions, and sometimes identical twins are just identical in their ways. I remember growing up in, in a matter of junior high, there's two boys, James and Chris Heights, they were friends of mine, and I found it very humorous at times, it was switch classes. And I knew, based upon my spending time with them, who was who, but James would switch for Chris, and Chris would switch for James, and the teacher would not even know, and they would take... One would take the test that they knew, and they would be in the class, and it was almost humorous to sit in class knowing, well, it's supposed to be Chris here, but it's really James. And that's a junior high thing, but, you know, it's a matter that for John and Jesus here, there's no, there was no question, there was a question actually because they were known by their works, so much so that is this Jesus or John? I wonder today, I have to ask myself this question, I hope you'll do the same. Would there be any question about our witness for Christ? Are we really known for telling others about Jesus? Are there traits of Christ so strongly in our life that people see Jesus in us that they think, wow, that's Jesus showing forth in their life. And John was so about the task of God that he was put in prison, but he's not just put in prison. He's put in prison for the sharing of the gospel. He's put in prison. The worst that could be said is John put in prison what did he do wrong? Well, he shared the gospel. He's a just man, and he's holy. Pretty good. Pretty good thing to be known by, and what a testimony that is. What a testimony because now John or Jesus, I, they both, there's some, so many similarities here, I'm just not sure which one it is. Would you go back with me, please, to the book of Mark? Mark chapter 1. Verse 14, it reads this. Now, after that, John was put in prison. I love these next two words. I hope you haven't gotten over that. I, I pray that I have not gotten over this. Jesus came. Jesus came. I hope this morning you know that Jesus has come into your life. If you have not, there's a chance that you can, this morning, have Jesus come into your life by accepting Him and trusting Him and calling upon Him. This morning, that can be done. Jesus came. And by the way, when Jesus comes, everything changes. When Jesus comes, it's not the same. And so here we go from John in prison to Jesus has come. Watch out. 
It is going to be better than John. It's going to be greater. It's going to be amazing. And Jesus is going to preach a greater mission and a, and a greater message because He is the message. And what Jesus does is always better. And now Jesus is coming, it says, into Galilee, and He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And here's the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 15, Repent ye and believe the gospel. And then we come to this this morning. Verse 16, Now as he walked, this is Jesus, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two men here, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Can I say this morning, number one thing you might want to write down this morning is, if you're going to be a part of discipleship, if you want to be involved in discipleship, there is a call to Christ. Number one, there's a call to Christ. See, what we notice here this morning is Jesus is actually putting a call out to these men. It is Simon and Andrew, and they're in the middle of their profession. They're fishing. I mean, they're fishermen. They're not, they're not fishermen for fishers of men at this point. They're fishing for fish. Matter of fact, it's said that they're estimated in Galilee to be around 200 to 300 plus shipping boats with fishermen that would sail the waters of the Sea of Galilee with at least 16 harbors. That's a big deal. That's a, that's a business. That's a fish industry, and that's a business of that day. It was the primary meat in the Mediterranean, and it was a definite livelihood. It was a definite matter that Jesus was choosing out these men because they were simple men and they were busy about their work. And by the way, I love the fact that Jesus chooses simple men because I can relate and say I'm a simple man. And Jesus is still choosing simple men, by the way. He's still choosing simple ladies, by the way. It says as if Jesus is saying this, Give me some ordinary men, and with them, if they will give themselves to me, I will change the world. Abraham Lincoln said it this way, God must love the common people because he made so many of them. Jesus is going to take these common men and turn their earthly work into a direction for spiritual work and for the kingdom, and it's going to change their life. And it's because, not because only these men are fishermen, although I believe that plays into it. I believe fishermen, they have qualities of patience. I believe fishermen, they have a hard work ethic. I believe they're watchfulness, and they're looking, and they're ready, and they're trying to, to be prepared, and they have things that they need to catch the fish, and, and they're familiar with disappointment. Not every time you throw it out. Matter of fact, most of the time I throw it out, nothing comes back. Disappointment. That won't change. There'll be disappointment in their life that still comes. But I do notice something. They're busy about what they were to do, and they're about a task. They're, they're not idle. They're not watching. They're working. And it's a matter that God knew that He could take these men that were fishing for fish to one day be great fishers of men. And by the way, He's still throwing out that call. And the call to Christ is for us as well. See, if we're to be a disciple, this is where his, Jesus starts the ministry of discipleship. This is where Jesus is saying, I want some men on board with this matter of discipleship. We exist for the purpose of making disciples of Christ who are making disciples of Christ. See, discipleship starts with a call. The call to Christ is noticed in verse 17, come ye after me. It doesn't stop. It goes on into verse 20 where there's some other men that he's going to call out. He's actually going to notice in verse 19, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And straightway, verse 20, he called them. 
What is Jesus doing? He's starting a ministry. He's calling it out. Jesus Christ Himself is laying out the example for all of us that discipleship is this. It is a call to Christ. Are you a disciple? The way you know is if you've responded to the call of Christ in your life. And the way that you know is if you continue to respond to that call to Christ in your life. You mean, I can, I can quit being a disciple? Well, are you continuing in the matter of that call to Christ and following that? Are you calling others to that call? Calling others to a closer walk with Christ? See, discipleship is meant for us to continue to call people to Christ. That's why Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Discipleship is not my opinion or your opinion. It is not us providing the answer. It is actually us taking them to the answer, which is Jesus Christ himself. See, it's us bringing others to a strong relationship with Christ. This is discipleship more so than any other relationship you and I have. Matter of fact, Jesus gets very particular in this matter of discipleship. And he actually goes into passages of Scripture. It says, it says, if you're almost to hate your father and to hate your mother and to hate your family, those are bad words. I don't like hate. Matter of fact, I tell my kids, the only person we hate is the devil. We don't hate anybody else. Not a matter of we have hate problems in our house, all right? We don't. I want to gear it into the right person, and it's the devil. Not a person, not a human being. This is what it's about. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me as I also am of Christ. And so it's a matter of not drawing them to any man or lady. It's a drawing them to Christ and getting someone closer to a walk with Christ. And you and I cannot take anyone further in our walk with God than we are taking a walk with God ourselves. See, true discipleship is taking others to follow Christ as you follow Him. God uses people to accomplish discipleship. And by the way, to really follow Christ is to be involved in discipleship. So, man, I want to follow Christ. Well, there's a call out. I mean, Christ has put a call to us. This is not just a call to just the disciples of that day. True discipleship is going to still be able to take place today, and that's why He's given it to us in Scripture. It's there. It's plain, as plain as can be, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And then He gives us a pattern in a master discipler. He gave us the example over and over and over again, and especially with these disciples at the beginning here. Can I tell you this? One of the most wonderful things about discipleship is it will actually bring more glorification to God. It will glorify God better. To glorify something is to make it look good. Now, God is already good. But you and I have opportunity to make God even look good in our lives and even to take it an opportunity like discipleship and make it look better to other people in their life. I don't know about you, but I want to paint a picture of Christ that's a beautiful picture. And it's a matter that I want people drawn to Christ and drawn to Him. And so it's important, Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. See, discipleship is bringing more glorification to God by bringing more people along so that they can glorify God. Simply put this, if, if people aren't being discipled, then God is not getting as much glory as He needs. And by the way, if people are being discipled, but not becoming more like God as a result of discipleship, then God is not getting the glory He deserves either. See, discipleship is a lifelong journey. It's not just a lesson. It's not just a book. It's not just a chapter. It's a lifelong, lifelong journey, and it's a lifestyle, not a lesson. 
Discipleship is not just sharing last, but sharing the Lord. Discipleship, not just sharing stories, but sharing the Savior. See, if we believe that spiritual true discipleship for the Lord is not just really happening unless a conversation leads to talking about Christ. It's about Christ. And that's why Matthew 28 says observe. You know what that word observe means? It means hold fast. It means keep to. It means attend. It means carefully follow. It means take care of. And true spiritual discipleship, get this, does not happen without the Word of God. And so it's a matter that the Word of God has got to be present in discipleship. John 8.32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Discipleship is going about the way God intended, then there will actually be more conversation about Christ than anything else. I wonder how much of our conversations are really about Christ. I have to ask myself that question. See, a call to Christ is for the discipler and the disciple. A call to Christ is the Lord becoming more and more in our lives, and so we actually become like John. Is it John or Jesus? We actually become more Christ-like in our life. A call to Christ, so much so that in the book of Mark, 17 times you find the word called. And the word called is not just throughout the book of Mark, it's throughout the word of God. Why a call? Because there's a need for discipling. The question I have for you and I this morning is this. How much do you and I personally believe there is a need for discipleship? Can I take it one step further? We believe it to the degree that it takes place in our life. We believe it to the degree that it is being done in our life and the lives of others. Discipling really reveals how much of a need we believe that people have to be shown the Word of God. That's why James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. John 14.15 says, Love me, keep my commandments. He that hath my commandments keepeth them. He is that loveth me. Call to Christ. That's what discipleship is. It's consciously taking others to the Word of God in all walks of life. So discipleship, it's a call to Christ. By the way, discipleship is meant for all saved believers. There's no one immune. There's no one exempt from this. Churches, by the way, don't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. So if we're all to be disciples in some capacity, well, maybe then the husbands to their wives and dad and moms to the children and friends to other friends and saints to equip others and, and actually the older training the younger and teaching others who will then teach others. And it is to be a continual cycle. One of the greatest places, like I mentioned earlier, is to start with our families. And by God's grace, we'll have His help and we'll continue the matter of discipleship in our own homes, in our own walks of life. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, The things that thou hast heard of, of me among many witnesses, the same commit. Thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also? I want to give you something staggering. Please listen closely. The national poll taken in just the last few years is that 72% of Americans say religion is losing its influence on American life. 63% of teenage Christians do not believe that Jesus is the Son of the one true God. That's a problem. 63%. 51% don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We celebrated that last week, and we continue to celebrate it every week. 
Half don't believe that. 68% don't believe the Holy Spirit is real. Oh, He is. Only 33% of church youth have said that church will play a part in their lives when they leave home. Get this. I hated even seeing this. Three out of every five. Three out of every five young Christians disconnect from their churches after the age of 15. This is disheartening. 90% of youth active in high school church programs drop out of church by the time they are sophomores in college. 90%! Does that bother you? And if it bothers you and I so much so, the way we change these statistics and the part of changing it is, can I say this, is discipleship. And the drop-off rate of Christianity is because of lack of discipleship. Plainly put. And if we want others to walk with God, we've got to have a walk with God ourselves. And please write this down. We will reproduce more of what we are than what we want. We will reproduce more of what we are than what we want. And so they see it. And the young people are, are, are engaged in the matter of they want to ask questions after questions. And you know what they want to see? They want to see authenticity. They want to see genuineness. They want to see realness in a Christian life. They don't want to just hear about it. They want to see it in, their, in others' lives. They want it to be real, deal. They don't want the mask. They don't want the facade. They don't want the fakeness. They're done with that. And that's why they leave. And so what is going to happen? What has got to take place? Well, it's right here in, I believe, the book of Mark. And I believe letter A under call to Christ this morning is as far as we'll get this morning if you're interested in knowing some of the others as a way of knowing, how do I know if I'm doing discipleship? How do I know if I'm falling after the call of Christ in our life? I believe it's right here in Scripture for us. And notice verse 21, please. If we are falling after the call of Christ in our lives, what does that look like? Verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. This is Jesus teaching. Can you imagine listening to Jesus? And they were astonished at his doctrine. I mean, here they are listening to Jesus, and, and this is what's happening. They are astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. You know what they were? They were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished. I mean, that means, means shocked, surprised, blown away. I mean, impacted so much so that, whoa, wow, awestruck. I mean, it's kind of like, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. I mean, in awe, so much of it. They couldn't even shake it. They couldn't even get away from it. I mean, it was ever on their mind, and they couldn't erase those images of what just took place that Jesus had just taught, and he taught like no other man had ever taught, and he still teaches like no other man can ever teach. And he teaches us through the Word of God and through the commands of God. And by the way, it's a matter that we have, if we observe the commands of God in our own life and we can take it to someone else's life, then we're going to be astonished at His doctrine. We're going to be astonished. Mark 7, 37 says they were astonished beyond measure. Luke 4, 22 says, All bear Him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of, the mouth, out of His mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? They were astonished at His doctrine. For his word was with power. John 7, 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. That's important. 
whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness in him. Would you take a short walk with me, please, this morning to the book of Matthew? And I would like to take a walk through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Don't worry, we're not going to read every verse. But as I close this morning, I want to mention to you, and I want you to see something I, I believe very important about this matter of being astonished at His doctrine. Astonished at His doctrine. And I want you to think about this as we look at, at these chapters in Matthew 5. You have to stay with me. I, I, I might tend to go a little quick here. But Matthew chapter 5, it's the Beatitudes, verse 1 through 12. Verse 13, it's Jesus teaching, Jesus teaching about the salt and light. Please, please notice then with me if you would jump over to, to verse 27. Jesus teaching about adultery and divorce. Jesus teaching in verse 43, we're still in chapter 5, about loving your enemies, how to, how to deal with your neighbors. How to, how to deal properly with your neighbors, I should say. Chapter 6, Jesus is teaching. This is doctrine about prayer and fasting in verse 5. Even about the giving in the first part of that chapter there. And Then notice, please, with me, if you would, in verse 19, it continues to talk about possessions in their proper place. I hope you're still with me, but verse 24, it talks about God's care and how He loves us so much. And then whether we are serving two masters in all this matter, but He clothes us in the grass of the field, He can clothe us. And uh, take no thought of the morrow, verse 31, and, and what she shall drink, and, and, and on down through the latter part of that chapter, verse seven, or chapter 7. Jesus teaching about judging and hypocrisy, Jesus teaching. Jesus teaching, verse 7, about the golden rule, we would say. Jesus teaching, verse 13, about which gate you're going to choose, the wide or the straight, narrow, as, results, as, as a result of your choice. Verse 15, about false prophets, Jesus teaching. Verse 24 of chapter 7, the wise and foolish builder, and what happens when you build properly and you, you don't build right, and this is not talking about a building, although he uses that analogy, but he's talking about even where we put our emphasis. But then verse 28 of chapter 7, please. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. For He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Which one of those doctrines? All of them. Which one of these doctrines in the Word of God? I mean, by all means, the Word of God can't be really all for me to really follow and believe. No, it is. Because Jesus is teaching, observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It means all. It means everything. And it's not just one of these doctrines or two or three or four or five or six. And it's not just Matthew 5 through 7. It's all of the doctrines that Jesus has in the Word of God for us to take to heart and to say, this is for me. 
and not just for me. This is for someone else, and I want to impact and impart what Jesus has done in my life so much so I can't help but talk about it. I can't help but get somebody as a disciple, and I want to be a discipler, and I want to have a disciple and I want that cycle to continue, and I don't want it just to stay with me and forget those statistics. I don't want those statistics to stay the same. I'm going to change that myself, and I want to make a difference in this world because Jesus is worth it. He is worthy, and it's a matter that I can lead more people to Jesus and a closer walk with Him. And discipleship is reproducing what we are, not just what we want. And discipleship is getting someone closer to the walk with God and astonished at His doctrine so much so that i got to share the doctrine. i got to share the Word of God. And I have a call to Scripture. And so what's crazy about verse 29 and verse 22 of our text in Mark, it says, and not as the scribes. Not as the scribes? Do you realize that the scribes of that day knew every letter down to the number of the letter of each book that they were writing? They were the scribes, so they were literally writing the Scripture, and they were familiar with the Word of God, so much so that they copied the Scriptures, and they were very well versed in the contents of the book. But they knew exactly how much and where it went and what happened with it. But they were the, and they were the Bible scholars of that day. I mean, if anybody should have authority, they should have had it. But it says, not as the scribes in what we just read of Matthew 7. It says, not as the scribes in Mark 1, verse 22. Because it implies that just because you and I profess to know the Bible does not mean we believe it and does not mean that we're not following it to the least of the degree. Because the scribes knew it. The scribes had it all figured out. They had it all down. They could tell you where and what and when. But it does not mean because they could profess to know the Bible, they could still believe it the least. Oh, that's a problem. Oh, how may God help us to not be that way. And I have to say, God, please help me in my life to not be that way because discipleship is on purpose leading someone else to a farther walk with God. And the only way that's going to happen is if I'm taking them to the Word of God. And the only way that's going to happen is if I'm so astonished and so in awe and amazed of the doctrine that I'm taking them to the doctrine. That I'm talking about Jesus. And I want them to get in awe and astonished at His doctrine so much so that they, they get somebody else to talk to about that doctrine. And my, my goodness, we can all be following the commands of, of God. We can all be following the Word of God. And that's wor worth following because God gave them to us to observe. And so discipleship, what am I trying to get people to do? What, what is discipleship all about? It's carrying on the call of Christ in your life, in my life. And it's a matter that... Christ is worth carrying on. And He is worth answering that call, just like the disciples did. And it is a great thing to be astonished at the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Are you still in awe of it? Do you just treat this like any other book? Oh, I hope you don't. I hope to goodness you never use it as a doorstop. I hope to goodness you have respect for it and you love it, so much so that if you were missing it, it would bother you more important than the wallet, more important than anything else. Because, man, I want to take somebody today to this. I want to take somebody to this that can, I can show them what I just got out of my reading, what I just got out of my devotional. Man, I'm excited. Man, I'm pumped about the Word of God. I'm in awe.
Pavel.